Welcome to Use Your Words Podcast, where we believe in intelligently spoken conversations. So, yeah, so, you know, and like I, like I, and like I will admit, like I said, uh, some, one, uh, I can talk, <laughs> or not, <laughs> yeah, or not. And welcome once again to the first of who knows how many. This is an experiment, I guess you could say. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, Aaron, <laughs> this was your idea, man. <laughs> okay. And I don't have any special intro music or music. Maybe I'll get some commissioned for next time. Oh. That says, you know, Aaron's Book Club or something like that. <laughs> oh, God. It's because it's the ABCs. <laughs> ABC, Aaron's Book Club. <laughs> Oh, what have I done? Yes. What have you done, Mr. Johnson? Yeah, that's so, so crazy. I've never thought I'd hear my name in. So welcome to another episode of Use Your Words Podcast, where we are trying something new. We are trying Aaron's Book Club. <laughs> um, and this one was as much a surprise to me as I'm sure it is to all of you going, wait, Aaron reads? He knows how to read? Yeah. Surprisingly, yes. Ish. And uh, if you had been listening to the wonderful Josh saga, which oh, gosh, I think it ended after... Five parts, maybe six parts, because it's still ongoing as we're reading, as we're um, recording this. I'm still releasing the Josh Saga uh, episodes. Oh, gosh. So, because we'd spent three three pieces in the abortion land <laughs> just alone. So, I think, so that was up to four por- uh, parts right there, total of the Josh Saga. So, that's what I said. I think we're at five total. The gun one may get split into two. I haven't fully edited it yet, so it may turn into six for the Josh saga, which was like seven and a half hours of our life, just sitting there going, oh my goodness, what have we gotten into? (laughs) Yeah. But if you had been listening to that, you would have heard that it during part of it, Aaron goes, I really like this book. And he talks about a book. And and you would have heard me be a little snarky and go, oh, is this the first book of Aaron's book club? Because he had mentioned something about it beforehand. And as it turns out, yes, yes, it is. And so we're breaking this book into two segments on how we're going to deal with this. Now, the funny part is I can't wait for segment two just because of the first chapter of segment two. Oh, freaking! I already forgot. What the first is. chapter of the second segment, of which is chapter seven uh, of the book, is he must be committed to oh children. Oh, gosh. And yeah. I just want to just be like, oh, that is going to be so entertaining on so many no. levels because it's Aaron and just, yeah. See, that's why, yeah, nope. It's not for me. <laughs> but anyways. But I read the book anyway. <laughs> so we have this book. It's called What He Must Be If oh. He Wants to Marry My Daughter. It's by... Uh, Bodie Bodie Bogum Jr. Jr. And he is a preaching pastor of Grace Family Baptist Church in Spring, Texas. I didn't even know that. Well, it's right in the back of your book. I didn't read that. (laughs) (laughs) You don't read the book sleeve. Awesome. (laughs) No. So that is essentially the title of the book, What He Must Be If He Wants to Marry My Daughter. I saw it and I was like, well, this is interesting. And I go, Aaron, are you going into a relationship again? And he's like, nope. no, 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 no. Absolutely not. So let me ask you this, Aaron. No. 
because this came from you. What made you pick up this book in the first place? Was it recommended to you? Did you just see it on a shelf and go, I must get this because it speaks to me because this is where I'm going? Or no. what What made you get this book? I was told to read it. No. Um, yeah. So it was no, a group of friends from another church. They had their little book group or whatever. And then this was one that one of the guys had recommended. So I was like, well, I was like, sure. I'll join your little get together study thingy, whatever. And then, so this, this just happened to be the book he wanted to go over. So that's okay. just what we went over. So you went over it in like a small group type setting. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So like I said, we are breaking this up into two parts. Uh, this first part, we're co- covering intro through chapter six. Hot diggity dang. And then the rest of the, the book, uh, in the next part and i don't know if if now you said you've read this all the way through already right yeah okay so i've just read through uh six so far so i'm just to keep it as i guess you could say fresh as possible for me as far as what will be discussed and commented on uh for that particular month uh considering half a book a month is not that bad of a read to be honest now, this book in and of itself, it was pretty easy to go through for the most part. There were a yeah. few parts where I will say, um, even for me, his language got a little bit wonky. I wouldn't say wonky, just like, oh, look, that's like very high academic level language. And it's like, yeah. okay, you know, it's, if I'm yeah. being honest, you know, some guys are going to read that and be like, I have no idea what these words mean. And to be fair. Okay, you're raising your hand. <laughs> so then this begs the question here. Did you go and look up what these words meant? Or Not did you just kind of go by and try to piece it together via context? Yes. Yes on which? I did, I did both, but okay. I don't remember what ones I did what for anymore. So No, that's fair. I, yeah. just, I, I, I was reading it and I was like, okay. They're, they're, I was like, there are, are definitely some words. I'm like, the average person... Unless they've gone to like some sort of biblical class or maybe they've taken a theology class or, you know, have some higher learning under their belt, they're going to read and go, what? Like if I was to hand this book and and here's the thing, here's what I think this should be targeted towards is teenagers, right? You know, you know, because, you know, he's, he's talking about in this book, what a guy must be like before. Yeah. Well, he he even talks even before dating his daughter at at points. Yeah. Okay. And that's the target then is probably going to be mostly teens because, you know, you, you, you got a lot of teens dating in that, right? No. So, well, yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. But so what I was saying is the language in here at times, it would be a little off putting for teenagers and people in their early 20s. I said earlier, you're no longer in your early 20s. You're in your late I'm trying 20s. to think of me in my early 20s, okay? But I didn't read really in general, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, but if someone came to you and said, here, let me give you all these references, and I'm not talking references like scriptural references. I'm like no, talking references from stuff. other books and quotes from other books, and then these high, weird words, and be like, I want you to now form a treatise based on this and figure out See, how you should change your life thing. and how you oh, should God. approach dating and how you should approach marriage. Both teenagers and 20 year olds are going to be like, huh? It's because uh, we're all too stupid. Now. And be like, okay, let me draw this out as a SpongeBob SquarePants cartoon. Maybe that'll make you understand it better. 
you laugh, but this past Wednesday, you weren't there, so... But this past Wednesday, I was trying to make a point, and one of the kids goes, oh, you mean like Spongebob SpongeBob and Patrick when this happened? I'm like, I have no idea what this reference is, but sure. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, we've become really dumb as a society. (laughs) Now I'm living proof of it, dang it. So if I have any main major complaint about the book, and I have some minor little nitpicks here and there in specific chapters... Um, but if I have any main major yeah. nitpick, it's this is the critic. Yeah, I know <laughs> I, I can be the critic. This is definitely, if you were to hand this to a teenage guy and go here, mm-hmm. he would look at it, maybe read the first chapter two and go, this is way over my head. I, I don't get it. I, I don't know why. Yeah. But, and, but, and that's where I think it should be aimed at. Instead, I I mean, he kind of aims at all. I mean, it really can be for anybody, he, he which really, is the funny he, part. He tries to say it's for everybody, but it's either going to be the teenage guy who's about to start dating or it's the father. And that, no. Okay. Why no? Well, because, I mean, he also says that even for, like, daughters, it'd be good to go through. Yeah. So. And that's, that's fair. Yes. So I guess he, that's where I say it's really, whether it be a father, mother, daughter, son, whatever. Yeah, he yeah he says that in the book, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll admit fully reading through it, everything he says, it's either targeted at the teenage guy or the father of, well, the, that, of the daughter. Of course it is. So, but, but he doesn't give like, hey, you're the father of the son, <laughs> you know, do these things. He, he, he gives you the, the, these platitudes. Now, again, I said, that's my biggest like little gripe about it. Okay. Beyond that, do I think it's a good, a worthwhile read so far? Yes. So I'm not, I'm not saying don't go out and read it. I'm saying just realize that it's written from the perspective of father to father or a father giving this book to son saying, read it, know what I mean, I want for you. That's how I, uh, that's how I see it. Hmm. You know, yeah. If you give it to like your daughter, you know, Aaron, you have a daughter. Heck no. And uh, you give it to her. She might be able to glean something out of it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, As far as like looking through and being like, oh. You know, this should be what a guy I'm looking for is. No. Mm-hmm. Again, we'll get to that when we get there on some other things. But Oh, great. Why are you going, oh, great? I'm already regretting this. Why, <laughs> Why are you regretting this? I don't, know. I don't know. I'm just saying that. All right. So, Mr. Johnson, uh, oh, no. we have the first seven chapters, or first six chapters, sorry, not seven. First, first six chapters. And I, I'm going to say this. If even if you look at this in a bookstore, I think page 17 near the end of the page there sums up essentially all that this guy is trying to say a guy should be. Yeah. So it says he must be Christian, he must be committed to biblical leadership, he must welcome children, he must be a suitable priest, prophet, protector, and provider. And it goes on to say, a man who does not possess or at least shows strong signs of these and other basic characteristics does not meet the basic job description laid down for husbands in the Bible. So if you even pick it up to look at it, just look at the ending of page 17. And this, that essentially gives you the summary for this, this entire is. book. Yep. Now, obviously, he goes into each of those a little more detail uh, for each of those points there, but mm-hmm. he definitely gives you right out of the gate. This is what I'm going to be talking about in this book. And he does that whole typical uh, speaker technique. 
I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. Oh. I'm going to tell you. Then I'm going to tell you what I told you. That's all. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that's a typical speaker a technique. And yeah. that's what he's doing. Well, right out of the gate. He's saying, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. He tells you. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to tell you what he told you. Because mm-hmm. if you read the like the last paragraph of each chapter, the last paragraph of each chapter is him essentially wrapping up the entire chapter in one paragraph. Yeah. So again, gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you. I told you. I, I told, told you. you. I told you. So I, I do appreciate that he takes that structure with the book. It makes it real easy, especially on some of the more, I guess you could say, drier segments of the book at times. Although there are some entertaining segments in here too. And then there are some segments that made me just kind of groan a little bit, but that, that's just me. <laughs> that, that doesn't have to be everyone. So right. were there any particular segments that stood out to you about this book that really were like, hey, this is what's calling out to me. And I'm talking about even as a single guy here. There's just a lot. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that just kind of like popped out. I was like, oh. All right, so what were some of those examples of things that just popped out to you? Yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this then. Yeah. What are your thoughts on multi-generational vision then? Uh, that's chapter one, right Right out of the get-go. He talks about this multi-generational vision. Yeah. What are your I thoughts on you, that? You read the book, I, right? I, yes, I read the book. I, what do you mean, what are my thoughts on well, okay. So he's talking. Well, from what I was getting from him, it's just kind of talking about. I don't know when he was talking about it. He was just repeating, or well, he wasn't repeating, but it's like you couldn't get out of the whole like the family legacy kind of thing, where you're just stuck in that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's very discouraging, <laughs> right? And and that's well, in this, I guess case i suppose in this context of, of yeah. the example he gave. What, yeah he, and that's why i'm asking what did you think about it yeah so he's talking about it from mm-hmm. now obviously remember he's talking about this from a married person's perspective you know where you're going to have kids you're going to have and their kids are going to have kids and their kids are going to have kids and where these things are going to happen and be defined down through the generations this kind of Brings me back to, you know, something we were talking about up at camp even a little bit, where mm-hmm. it was talking about, I will, you know, bring the the curse on your on you for whatever it was number of generations, but blessings for a thousand generations. Yeah. You know, I, uh, it was 40 generations, I believe was the oh, curse. Was it really that many? Oh. Yeah. Stuff like that. And and that's why we had the whole thing of like, is 40 less than a thousand? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and. You know, that, that makes a good point. You know, a lot of people where they realize it or not, even in this day, that's me, that's you, that's your nephews, that's your your nieces, that's your everything. You know, it's Josh, it's the enforcer, all of them. They're living under either generational curse or blessings, that generational, multi-generational vision of what has happened from their parents before them. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously... If you grow up, you know, in a in a poor family, there are good chances that you might have some issues getting breaking out of that cycle, breaking out being a poor. If you're fatherless, there's definitely going to be consequences like that. If well, I shouldn't even say fatherless. If you're if you have one parent less in the house, where that be due to a death, a divorce, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you know being born out of wedlock, whatever. 
there are going to be consequences of that. There are statistics that are talking about, you know, if there is not a father in the household, how much harder it is for that child to ever escape poverty, even in their adult life, how they will probably live in poverty for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. So there yeah. are, there are consequences to being that. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I'm like, you know what, this is cool and all, but I'm, again, I'm coming at this as a single guy. What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with me as a single person who, in all honesty, probably will never get married, probably will never have kids? Yeah, you said that years ago, but then you started talking to people again. So yeah, know. and then that just stopped because <laughs> it's just a cycle that'll probably continue. It, it may continue, but yeah. I've come to the conclusion that I probably won't, and that's fine with me. Yeah, but how, I look at it like, how do I think about that from a multi generational view as a single person? Well, oh, for you, well, that probably doesn't really matter. No, it does still. Does it? Yes. Okay. Well, because yes, I'm not going to have well, kids of my own, right? Probably. Okay. Probably. Probably. That's that's let's let's say that's probably, that's a greater yeah. than fifty percent chance probability. Mm-hmm. Okay, way higher than fifty percent at this point. I'm probably not going to have kids, but that doesn't mean that I cannot have an impact on others. Okay. And even though I may not be a a direct parent or whatever, yeah. I may play a role in their life in some way. Right. I guess I was looking at it as you having your own kids. Well, that's how he's approaching it. Yeah. But I have to adapt this to how I think as well. You, books are yeah. books. Books are written from the author's perspective, and they're going to have their points of view throughout, and they're going to have their worldview embedded in them. This guy is a father of multiple children. Of course, he's going to be thinking on this, and I'm glad he is. But then how do I take that and apply that as a single person? How do I then take that and apply that as a person who is childless, doesn't have a, uh, you know, a wife? Yeah. And, and so that, and, and to be honest, that's how I thought of a lot of this book. Mm-hmm. Because I could think of it in, in very normal ways, but I also need to think of it in ways of what, what, what is this going to be like for me as well? So if you do pick up the book, just keep that in mind. This is written from the perspective of a guy with many kids, a wife, and, you know, has been married for a while. So if you're single and you're trying to wade through it, it's going to be a little difficult at first to wade through it, especially if you're maybe older and single. Now, if you're younger and single, it starts getting you to think about that ahead of time. How and what I am doing now going to impact my future kids? How is that going to impact their kids? All right. So that's good things to think about. Think about the future. That's just my, my thought on the on that mm-hmm. one. I also love how right away, right away, um, in this book, starting on chapter nineteen, he starts going after Margaret Sanger, like oh, right away. Um, Margaret Sanger. Oh, uh, do you remember who she is? Mm, maybe I'm thinking of something different. Ah, uh, go ahead. Margaret Sanger, she's a person who uh, started Planned Parenthood. Yes, that is what I thought it was. Okay. Yep. So, you know, he brings up some statistics. You know, he uh, Planned Parenthood, more than 70% of their offices are mi- minority neighborhoods. Um, and Margaret Sanger, to be fair, was a eugenicist. What is a eugenicist? That was one that I don't remember. You don't remember what a eugenicist is, huh? No. No, I just read it today. I didn't care to look it up. 
practice or advocacy of controlled selective breeding of human populations. Yeah, just yeah, controlling populations. Yeah. So some quotes of hers that were, I guess you could say, pretty damning. And these are direct quotes from Margaret Sanger. Yeah. The most urgent problem today is how to limit and discourage the over-fertility of the mentally and physically defective. In other words, she was against people who had maybe some sort of mental or physical issue reproducing. Right. Survival. And basically Hitler. Survival of the fittest. Kind well, of <laughs> oh, <laughs> just you, in woman you, form. You just, you just angered the Margaret Sanger people because okay. pe- people always compare her to Hitler because they're both kind of eugenicists sort of things. Yeah. And people are like, oh, stop doing that. Da, 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 da. Well, like, I mean, if she just had enough power, then do you think she probably would do something like that? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So another quote of hers is, we do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. Hmm. Again, keeping in line with the fact that, you know, this is most of their Planned Parenthood <laughs> offices in, are in minority neighborhoods. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know. <laughs> um, in 1932, in their, uh, I, I don't know if it's a book. Yeah, I think it's a book. It's a Plan for Peace. Margaret Sanger recommended birth control as a means of negative eugenics to achieve what the Nazis had set out to accomplish. She advocated for a stern and rigid policy of sterilization and segregation to that grade of population whose progeny is already tainted or whose inheritance is such that objectionable traits may be transmitted to offspring. (laughs) And that is uh, directly taken from a book. uh, What was the book's name? Public. Yeah, Public Policy Issues Research Trends. That's a mouthful of a book, right? Yeah, it sounds <laughs> horrible. Which, man, and yet, I mean, Planned Parenthood is still, well, is very thriving today. I think that she got it all going. What a great person to have as like the foundations of a, uh, yep. what the heck you call that? <laughs> and then, again, this is from the book, Public Policy Issues, Research Trends, um, edited by Sophie J. Evans. This last quote, though. In reference to the Nazi eugenics plan, she says the campaign, uh, she being Sanger, Mm -hmm. says the the campaign for birth control is not merely of eugenic value, but is practically identical with the final aims of eugenics. It was not the ideas fueling Nazi atrocities that Sanger found questionable and sad. It was the methodology. In other words, the end goals she was still on board with was just the ways that they achieved it. it. Yep. Well, you know, drastic times call for drastic measures. So I, I just find that kind of funny. And as you read, if you ever do a little research on Sanger, it's yeah. a little sad in multiple ways on how well she is kind of like uh, held up. And actually, and I found this kind of ironic considering the previous quote of, you know, wanting to exterminate the Negro population, as she put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. actually received the Planned Parenthood's Margaret Singer Award in Human Rights. I was like, that's wait, a little wait, ironic. Wait, wait, <laughs> that's a little what? ironic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Just a little ironic. That's, yeah. 
I was just like, hmm. yep, 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 yep. Oh, no. Yeah, I, one, I think for the, the thing that really disturbed me the most in this, the first chapter was the whole, like the little section where it talks about the cost of fatherlessness. Mm-hmm. That was like, well, some of the stats he provides here. Yeah. That was 75% of fatherless American children will experience poverty before the age of 11 compared to 20% raised by two parents. Yeah. Fatherlessness is the number one cause of poverty. Yeah. Uh, children living in homes where fathers are absent are far more likely to be expelled for, from school, more likely to drop out, develop emotional behavioral problems, commit suicide, fall victim to child abuse, or neglect. Fatherless males are far more likely to become violent criminals. And fatherless males represent 70% of the prison population serving that's, long-term sentences. That's all crazy to me. That seems insane. And we hear those stats over and over again. And it's like, yeah, these are all horrible stats. But when you put it into this concept of what are you leaving for your kids? What are you thinking about for your kids in the future? It becomes an even more damning situation there. Yeah. And, you know, on the flip side, right? you know, the, uh, the, the cost of fatherlessness yeah. on the next page near the end on page 23, he starts talking about what happens if you have a father that's very involved in your children's lives. And he gives an example where they studied 1400 descendants of uh, a family and he found that they included 13 college presidents, 65 professors, a hundred lawyers, a Dean of law school, 30 judges, 66 physicians, and a Dean of medical school, 80 holders of public office, including three U.S. senators, governors of three states, mayors of three large cities, vice president of the United States, controller of the United States Treasury. They had written over 135 books and edited 18 journals and periodicals. Many had entered ministry. Over 100 were missionaries and others were on mission boards. Yeah, that's a pretty big improvement. Going, yeah, going from, <laughs> you know, hey, uh, 75, 70% of you in this jail probably do not have a father to that yeah. sort of impact. And, and and he's kind of setting the bar on why his book matters and why he wrote his book right from the get go. And he continues that through and through and through. Mm-hmm. So what well, else? I guess, yeah, I wouldn't even, well, yeah, I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't say that his book matters, but just, well, the, the fathers con- matter. The but concepts, what it's talking about, the concepts yeah. in his book are what right. matters. Yeah. Which leads right into the next thing. And, this this chapter I found entertaining, chapter two. The Ministry oh. of Marriage. Yeah. Did you ever think of it as a ministry before, sir? Not really. No. Do you think of it as a ministry now? Maybe more so. Okay. Well, I guess because, yeah, I mean, I, don't know, I never, well, obviously I never really thought much about marriage and, well, family and stuff like that. Um. But I guess as far as like for like as far as ministry and stuff like that, I don't know. I just always figured people served in the church. People, I mean, they can each person go out and have their own ministry kind of thing, whatever. Who daddy, whatever. But uh, I guess thinking as far as like for marriage, I as we will get to later. But where it talks about the whole like commitment to children kind of thing, and mm-hmm. I mean it all just kind of continues to branch out farther and farther and farther so i mean when you look at it and i guess depending on how your how your children grow up and stuff like that if they 
come to find the same beliefs and stuff like that, they're not going to go out and do ministry work as well in one fashion or another. But I don't know. That's all that really, I don't know. I'm trying to think of nothing else stood out to you on, on in, in this chapter then about the ministry of marriage. Yeah, there's stuff I've got like, I don't know. I've got pencil marks in here. Okay. About stuff, but I don't know. I don't know. You go first while I look over it. <laughs> All right. So a couple things that stood out to me uh, in this chapter. A, first off, he's just talking about how marriage in and of itself is a ministry and how a lot of people don't think of it as that way. And the way the, his logical reasoning for that, uh, that he's talking about that is that, yes, it's about, you know, having a family that yes, it's about, uh, having children then within that family, but ultimately it's for, Hey, this is what, this is how we raise our kids then to then, go and get married and have more kids and Continue teach whole... again, branching off that multi-generational statement he made in the previous chapter and talking about, mm-hmm. Hey, this is how it should be. This is kind of, you know, and he kind of brings it back up. Like, this is how we were kind of commanded to do this in the Bible. Yeah. And so one of the things that he talks about is, and this is on page 33 oh, yeah. is it's in the section, what happened to marriage? Yep. Uh, and he's like, Hey, you know, he quotes this article from the Houston Chronicle and the article from the Houston Chronicle is entitled singles in no hurry to marry. Mm-hmm. And the quote is, it used to be common for men and women to get a marriage certificate not too long after collecting their high school diploma. Not anymore. Nuts. And it's talking about that and how the average age of marriage has gone from like that 18, 19, 20 phase to like 30 to 34 to maybe even closer to 40s in some case. So maybe there is hope for me. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm approaching that 40 phase real quick here. And how it, as a culture, we're changing completely our thoughts on marriage and what that is. And you know, and then this is where he starts introducing this other, I guess you could say, concept that he starts talking about, which I'm sure will get him, quote unquote, canceled in today's culture, which is patriarchy, because he talks about that yeah. a lot in this book, I will admit. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute here. But he starts introducing that concept into here and and um, what it looks like in the family structure and unit and that and going forward. So I was just like, hmm. it kind of caught my attention because I was like, okay, he's willing to put down the words. He's willing to put down paper. All right, let's see uh, what happens with that happen. Now, obviously he can't go on, you know, talk about marriage without talking about same-sex marriage and all that other stuff. And he does give some statistics related to that in there as well. Um, But ultimately he talks about, hey, this is why Marriage is, <clears throat> as he calls it, the preferred state of life. Where is that? That's on like, 42. Uh, page 42, where he calls it the preferred state of life. Mm-hmm. You know, after just saying, yeah, but, you know, if you are called to be single, then, yeah, that's good still, too. And so that's, that's where he's trying, he's trying to do that little balancing act of saying, hey, you should be married, but if you're going to be single forever, you can be single forever, blah, blah, blah. And he's trying to do that little balancing act delicately without trying to insult one group or the other. 
And did he handle it? Eh, eh. What do you mean? I guess what one group or the other? The people who are like, well, I'm going to be single forever or the people of like, get married. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, did he but handle I mean, that really balance? There's not much to yeah, yeah. say about it other than, I mean, I mean, it's in the Bible where it talks about, you know, well, it was in, the, in Corinthians and one of Paul's message, but where he talks about, you know, singleness isn't a bad thing. It's, I mean, you can celebrate someone's singleness because, I mean, if you stay single, then there's just all that much more time and effort you can put into your relationship with Christ and stuff like that. Because yep. having a wife or well, vice versa, you know, getting married brings more worldly issues into the picture and just more stuff that you have to be focused on and take care of as opposed to just being able to focus on Christ and stuff like that. So uh. yeah, uh, what I did find funny um, they, there was a study, right? Mm-hmm. And he talks about this on page 36. It says the link between religious attendance and family life is particularly strong for men. Currently men are 50% oh. less likely to attend church regularly if they are not married with children compared to men who are married with children. Women are 41% less likely to attend church regularly if they are single and childless. Marriage is not, does more than bind a man to one woman. It also ties a man to a lo- local congregation. I was like, yeah, I had that. I put a line around that and said why <laughs> you, you put why huh yeah all right as so, i was reading that because I, I i guess i was wondered as why does it make a difference to have a family and want to go to church first i mean one of the things that first came to my mind was i mean some people probably use the church as a way to teach their kids some standard of, I guess, morals and right and wrong and kind of stuff like that. And the, ho- and the helps to kind of teach them how to behave kind of thing versus having to do it all on their own. <laughs> right. And it's, it might be some of that. It might be some of just that societal cultural thing of like, Hey, you're married, you have kids, take them to try to teach them that <laughs> there, there's probably more to it to be honest um oh yeah what I'm it sure is there is yeah now if you want to know more on that you'll have to go read uh wilcox's book which i'm sure is probably not dry at all so that would be <laughs> yeah thank you for the notes it says ibid that doesn't help me at all uh for the book title but so uh, that is that was an interesting side that kind of just popped out at me i was like interesting I guess it is. I mean, that's kind of going back to the first chapter, but like where, I mean, yeah, where it talks about like, as far as for culture, getting married and stuff like that, there's like the cultural norms where it was talking about how like the guy would go to the dad to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage and stuff like that. And it's like, what's, well, (laughs) it's just funny how we, how we still do that. But it's like, I feel like, at this time, nobody should really care about any of this. But for some reason, we still do. Well, I don't it's like, remember later on, I forget which chapter it is directly in. I have it marked somewhere here. Uh, but he says that, that by the time that you add, that the guy, like let's say you, Aaron, right? You went and asked someone's uh, father for their hand in marriage, right? Yeah. For their daughter's hand in marriage. Yeah. The guy, the guy writing this book, Vody Brogan Jr., goes, 
by the time that young punk essentially, I'm, is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm paraphrasing here. Yes. He's like, by the time that young punk comes and asks for my daughter's hand in marriage, yeah. I'm already back in the corner. It's too late. Yeah. He should have asked me before he even started, he started dating. dating, which made me think of what I did. Like <laughs> yep. one time I thought at the time I thought I was so stupid for doing that. But after reading this, I was like, all right, now I don't feel so dumb. <laughs> Cause I feel like that is like a very, it should be some, oh, should be something that should happen or it would be a good thing at least. Like, I don't know. Like I'm thinking of my brother-in-law and then my niece, like I would hope you'd be very involved in her life in the manner of helping her find somebody that's actually worth being with. Right. So it's like, yeah, why let her just go out and date somebody when you know the end, well, what should be the end result of dating is eventually marriage. It's like you should kind of have those kinds of conversations before they even start dating as opposed to, well, they've been dating. Now he's asking me to marry her. Do I say yes or no? It's like, yeah. Yeah. I I just thought that was interesting. I was like, yeah. I was like, why do they just ask for marriage? Like at that point you would hope that they already know that they're okay for marriage. Yeah, I, I I was reading that, and to be honest, um, the first time I was reading through it, I was like, uh-huh. okay, this guy's being a little too involved in his daughter's life. <laughs> so I wouldn't say that at all, I, Like I said, the first yeah. time I read through it, right? And yeah. then I, I chewed on a little bit more, and I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. I get what he's doing. He's trying to protect his daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which is what we're supposed to do. Right. But so I was like, wow, that's... Because uh, he does mention his daughter is 18. Has never gone on a date. Has never had a boyfriend. Yeah. I I laughed when he joked about the whole thing about locking the daughter in the basement until 30. I was like, oh boy. That's that's something he does or has done. Right. It's just like, there's people out there that are definitely like that. And it's kind of like, ooh, that's scary. Because I mean, yeah, it's like, there's there's a point where, I don't know. I guess, yeah, as I guess as a father would be very difficult. But there's a point where it's like, if they make their own decision, they make their own decision. And see, I look at this, especially right? at the whole 18 after 18 thing. Well, okay. So like if you're under 18 in that yeah. or like 18, 19, okay. Yeah. But I look at this way. Okay, the last person I dated, right. Mm-hmm. We're both almost 40. Mm-hmm. Am I supposed to go to her dad? <laughs> whom she oh, hasn't oh, even, well, okay, yeah. whom, whom she hasn't even brought into the picture of me even being a chance to know yet. Yeah. You know? what happens then so that's where it so for young relationships like that i could see yes, that for younger for older relationships no. i think that this that's where this maybe starts falling apart a little bit yeah yeah i would i, I would agree with that. A, and i wrote in my notes creepy <laughs> for, i said i wrote in there creepy for 40 year olds yeah <laughs> it's, i would definitely uh, aim that towards younger kids yeah. and the reason i would say aim that for younger kids especially is you're still growing up you're still learning things yeah. you're still you don't have the ability to judge properly on things where well you, at least not on something that's so impactful right yeah you know there's a lot of hormones running around still and everything so it's like yeah i i get it why 
he talks about this and why it's good to have a father in the house to give these roles and examples and ideas to and you know and i guess and obviously because there's i mean there's still examples of where even having a father in the house isn't gonna help as much because it's like there's still obviously fathers that are in the house that don't care right so there are definitely and that's why the fatherless statistic says an absent father because an absent father doesn't necessarily mean the father's not present in the house it might not be they take no part in any of the they literally walk in the house grab a beer sit down watch whatever popular tv shows on at the time they live for themselves that was it right yeah and it was like okay right cool which so yeah, so that's why, you know, he's talking about all this stuff about the ministry of marriage, why it's a ministry and why you're training up your kids to mm-hmm. look for these things and how to grow further on. And then I love how he rolls that into the next chapter and how he says, well, this is how you then search for a spouse. <laughs> uh, get to it now. Um, right, you know, this particularly, you know, he, this chapter, chapter three calls a father's role. And essentially the father's role he's talking about is to aid the protector, but also to kind of you know, teach up your kids. And this is where he starts really getting into the patriarchy thing and everything. But what I found funny, and it was a funny story and I enjoyed it. The, the lesson from aunt Kiki. (laughs) You remember that a little bit? Yeah. And it was essentially like this rich guy, you know, just tons of money. He's like, I don't want to waste my time. He flies into town and aunt Kiki's a realtor and he goes up and goes, okay, show me stuff. And she's like, well, what do you want? And start tries asking him questions about things to narrow things down. He's like, oh, no, just drive around. Show me stuff. And she goes, I don't have time to waste just showing you everything. Tell me what you want. And essentially, that's what he's like. Are, are we trying to find a spouse that way? Are we trying to find a spouse by just, let me find everything and take everything and whatever? Or are we going, no, this is what I want uh, for a spouse. This is what I want for a wife. This is what I want for my kids to have in a spouse, et cetera. Mm-hmm. and i just i just found that a little funny but <laughs> so he starts with that wonderful light-hearted tale and then he starts talking about old testament, old testament patri- patriarchy. patriarchy and he goes through uh the patriarch's duty to his family now i do re- you know obviously they're all here on page 52 here for you and i read through it and i was like okay i i, I get it i get it i get it um and then he reads so he has the patriarchy's duty to his family, and then the patriarch's duty to his daughters. And then I was like, wait a minute, there's no patriarch's duty to his sons? <laughs> Heck no, man. I was like, wait a minute. Um, so some of these, I get it. I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And some of these I'm like, interesting that that would be done. And I had forgotten about some of these, honestly, under the Old Testament. Like, for example, I forgot about the protecting his daughter from rash vows and numbers thing. That that completely, like, skipped my mind, and then I read it, and I was like, oh, dang, okay. Gosh, I have to read. You'll numbers have to read numbers? Yeah. Okay, so go ahead and pull up numbers if you could, or was, I think. Oh, right here. Oh, never mind. <laughs> he has it right in the book. If a woman vows a vow to the Lord and binds herself by a pledge while within her father's house in her youth, and her father hears of her vow and her pledge by which she has bound herself and says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. 
But if her father opposes her on the day that he hears of it, no vows of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will forgive her because her father opposed her. So essentially, Aaron, you have a kid, right? You have a daughter, little little Arena. No, Aaron with an E running around. Nora. Okay, Nora. Okay, Okay, Nora. Okay, Nora. (laughs) So little Nora. Aaron's apparently thought daughter names already. No, that's just how, uh, was it Philip and I, we started saying our names backwards to each other and greeting. Uh, so yeah okay Nora <laughs> so little Nora's running around and you hear her make a pledge or whatever yeah. and essentially it says if you hear it and you do nothing then she's by numbers Old Testament she's bound by it yeah but if you say hey no then God will go okay she's no longer bound by this pledge yeah I found that very interesting I was like huh interesting Again, that was just something that my mind, when I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, the rest of these, like, I'm like, yeah, these make sense. Protecting daughter from male predators so she would marry <laughs> yeah, as a virgin. That's bringing on to his name purity to her husband. Okay. Uh, arranging his daughter's marriage by finding a suitable husband and making proper arrangements. Poor Aaron's daughter. <laughs> Poor Nora. <laughs> she ain't ever getting married. That's the uh, title of this episode now. Poor Nora. Poor Nora. <laughs> uh, ensuring a measure of security for his daughter by providing a dowry, protecting daughter from rash vows, uh, providing security to his daughter in case a marriage failed, and instructing his daughter in the scriptures. All those make sense. The rash vows one, I don't think really applies anymore, but other than that, yeah, like all that makes sense, you know. You know, the other ones, and he even, where he says to the family as a whole, so that includes his wife and his sons, apparently. You know, managing the land in accordance with the law, personally modeling strict personal fidelity to Yahweh, leading the family in national festivals, nurturing the memory of Israel's salvation, instructing the family in traditions of Exodus and scripture, providing for the family's basic needs for food, shelter, clothing, and rest, defending the household against outside threats, serving as elder and representing the household and official assembly of citizens, Maintaining family members' well-being in harmonious operation of the family unit, implementing decisions made at the clan or tribal level. Now, obviously, some of those don't work and don't happen anymore. Right. But for the rest of them that do, it's like, oh yeah, those still happen and still go on. Now, obviously, he goes on and takes each of those points, uh, particularly about the daughter, um, and goes into that and talks about that and goes, okay, we're going to talk about each one of those points about patriarchy over the daughter and sees all that. And then he talks into uh, gospel patriarchy and that and how it's still applicable through the new Testament and that I was like, okay. Uh, and then he does bring up. Yeah. Page 64, that whole disgusting thing. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, disgusting, disgusting, disgusting. So this is from Genesis. Uh, this is uh, Judah. Judah saw his was it Tamar? Tamar, yeah. Was it? She is his daughter-in-law. Yeah, daughter-in-law. So Tamar was married to one of his kids. The kid died. He Judah then promised, "Hey, go said go live with you know your parents. I'll send my next son for you." The next son said, "No," essentially. And it actually talks about, you know, how he spilled his seed so he wouldn't 
get pregnant and the son was just like no we're not gonna do this and then if you read genesis 38 15 32 i I read this and i go wait what Mm -hmm. um when judah saw tamar he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face okay he turned to her at the roadside and said come let me come into you for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law she said will you get what will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it, he said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So she gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Now, if you read the rest of 38 and you read around that, right? After Mm -hmm. this, uh, Judah goes back and tries to send the goat back to her because that was what he promised. And if you read it, he goes, where is the cult prostitute that was here? Now, when I say cult prostitute, I'm, I'm being serious in saying that uh, literally a cult prostitute as in a uh, religion other than the God that he served. Mm-hmm. So he willingly went to a prostitute and I'm just like, oof. Uh, yeah, I'm glad this was in this book about the <laughs> examples and stuff. I was like, yeah, that's definitely an example of what not to do. Yeah. Impregnate your own daughter-in-law. Sounds great. Yeah. I was like, what the heck? And then like, you know, people back in Genesis did very re- reprehensible things. I mean, still are. Shoot. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what? Th- that'll be a whole other conversation for another time. <laughs> Not gonna do that one right now. Say nothing's really changed. <laughs> yes, I, I, yes, a hundred percent agree. <laughs> so, anyways, so that's that chapter. Father's roles talking about patriarchy, which the patriarchy might, might get people canceled in oh well, so many ways. <laughs> especially now, anybody can rule and do anything. And so, the next two chapters, uh, which are the last two that are covering from the book today. Uh, he must be a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. Or no, the, no these are three chapters. Yeah. Uh, he must be prepared to lead. And then he must lead like Christ, which all three kind of go right together, right, together, right with one another in there. So <laughs> yeah, I had a lot. In <laughs> you had a lot in chapter six? In six. That I had at least marked. All right. But, so, uh, and there's yeah. a lot that's being covered here in four, five, and six. Yeah. So, is there anything of particular importance that stuck out for you, Johnson, that you want to bring forward from four, five, and six? Oh, four, five, and six. Yeah. Because oh, four, five, and six, if I'm being honest, really should have been one chapter. It, yeah, it could have been. It's all stuff that. I am no good at. <laughs> All right. What aren't you good at? All of it. Frick. <laughs> well, let's delve into it. Let's give some examples here. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, golly. I even think about, like, for, well, I don't know, just family and stuff like that. Well, just like with the nieces and nephews. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. Where it comes to, I guess it's something I've been trying to be much more mindful of and work on more, but it is, I guess, being a Christ-like example to them. And and we've, I mean, you and I have kind of talked about 
a little bit about stuff of it where it's like, you know, seeing all the stuff that they're into, all the stuff that they watch and listen to and all that jazz. It's like, this is terrifying. <laughs> like I just, I, to me, it's like, this is junk. And then I obviously I have my own junk and stuff that I've seen and watched and listened to and probably still do. But, uh, it's just, it just seems worse than what I remember it to be from the stuff that I would watch and listen to. Like, it just seems like it's just an amplified version of what it was. I used to listen to. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, man, I guess it's just, is that what you really want to be filling your head with? And obviously, I mean, as for them as kids are like, Oh yeah, this is funny. This is what's entertaining. So it's like, I don't know, for me, it's, I gotta be better at, well, I would hope that they would see that Christ is more, or Christ-like stuff is more valuable and better to be putting in their mind as opposed to whatever it is that they have going on in their mind. And with the whole stuff of like leading, I don't know, I've, Remember Pastor Dave saying, you have leadership potential. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't. Why do, why do you say that? No, you don't to yourself. Huh? Why do you say why no? Do you... I so no, I don't. Cause yeah. I just never do. <laughs> I'm always someone that's like, you tell me what to do. I'll go do it. I'm not one to be like, you should do this or you should do that. Or yeah, I don't know. I've just never been one to be a leader. I've, I'll do something. Okay. But I ain't going to lead it. Now. You just said that you underlined a bunch of stuff in chapter six. Oh, frick. Yes. Yeah. What did you underline then? Uh, some of it is just stuff that like, they were like one-liners just like, oh, dang, that was pretty good. Okay. So what, what stuck out to you? What, oh, what gosh. was the arrow in Johnson's heart as he read these things that even the one-liners that stuck out, what Ooh. are some of these things? Man. There was one one line that was he wasn't the bad leader because he oh I'm sorry this is at the uh, like middle to end of 106 okay um he wasn't a bad leader because he made poor decisions he was a bad leader because he had he had well he made no decisions exactly <laughs> yeah, that one hit me in the why did that hit you because I don't know. You you say I feel it, like I get I feel like I guess when depends on what I guess what it comes to making decision on. But for the most part, I feel like when it comes to making decisions, it's like I try and overthink and be too careful to the point where I don't want to make a wrong decision, but then end up not making one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the, what the area that Aaron's talking about, he's actually talking about um from band of brothers. It's a little commentary that was over one of the lieutenants there who just never would make decisions. Mm-hmm. And that's why they said he wasn't a bad leader because he made poor decisions. He was a bad leader because he made no None. decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be hard at times because you're putting yourself out there and saying, this is the route I'm going. And then if it blows up in your face, it's like, <gasps> exactly. It, you don't like the blowback. <laughs> no. But that is part of being a leader is learning from that blowback. Even when it's wrong. Right. That's yeah, we're learning is important. It hurts, we'll, it stings, it's yeah. embarrassing, but you learn still. Right. So that's like you hope to not make that uh hope to not make that mistake again. 
Yep. Well, granted, if it is a mistake, there can be things that you can decide that you blow back up on you, even though if you're doing something right. Yep. But All right. What thing. What else? Uh, um, I don't know why. Like now that I like you know look back at it, I was like, it's, part of me doesn't really know why I underlined this, but I did. It was we must raise a generation of young men who think differently about courtship. Um, I guess, I, I guess I don't look at it from, or look at it from, I guess, big enough of a angle. Cause like, I just see what I, I'm used to seeing it's for the most part, or maybe it's not, maybe it's not what I would think. Cause I, obviously I, I, I don't know. Most of the time I just think of it being a, a husband and wife and then taking it seriously. Kind of, I mean the standard good family. Right. But, well, when he's talking about courtship, he's talking about the steps leading up to right, marriage. marriage and stuff like you that. Know, Aaron finds his Nora tomorrow. I don't know. Wait, I say with well, that's the first example. That was my kid. So. Yeah. I, I, that's why I said Nora. Okay. That's because so I'm, I'm finding a kid of mine that I didn't know. No, about. someone you're naming your first daughter after your wife. Nora. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> At Nora Senior, let's put it that way. There we go. All yeah, right, that's a little bit better. But yeah, yeah. It, you find your, you find your future wife, future lady, your future wife tomorrow. You know, that, and that's what it's talking about. What's that courtship look like? Right. That's where he wants you to go and talk to the father and go, Mister Sir, can hey, I dude. have your blessing to date your daughter? <laughs> right, and you um, uh. I don't know exactly how well that's going to work in today's society, honestly. Where, well, I think for one thing, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to think of conversations I've had with other people, I guess, about just dating. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, some people are deaf. Well, and that's it's outside of a Christian perspective where it's like dating is just like, oh, yeah, you get together with someone that you get along with pretty much. And then just, I guess the biggest thing is where they, you you know, act with, you know, you act like basically a married couple as far as enjoying what marriage normally should entail. In other words, they're living together, having sex. Yeah. Doing all that stuff. I mean, yeah, they, they figure you just do that. And then once you finally find someone that you're right, that you, I guess, are either one, you're done looking or have been with someone long enough where it's like, well, I guess this can work now. Then it's like some people then get married, but then some even don't because they don't want to do all the legal paperwork stuff and stuff like that. So I guess as far as, I guess one thing I could see getting taught to, you know, more, I guess boys and men growing up as time goes on is it's more of a matter of convenience for mm-hmm. them. And it's just something that is going to benefit them to a point. Cause obviously, and like still, I mean, you hear that, you know, it, relationships take work and stuff like that. And you're going to have to make sacrifices and all that. But it's like, as long as you're happy though, <laughs> kind of thing. That's uh, as long as you're happy. This is me off. But. Yeah. I, I'm thinking about it. This is me trying to look at it from a larger perspective too. You know, yeah. 
and even younger people teenage wise right you know dating is no longer a lot of times you meet the person face to face at first and you go ooh i like them and you, you know that you start a lot of times it's online. It, it's online you know and that and that's where i'm like yeah i get where he's coming from like hey try to be respectful you know as the guy you know try to be respectful and try to do this and at the same time he's going but as a father vet these young punks that are coming to date your daughters essentially <laughs> Mm. you know that's that's what he's doing he so th- in that segment he's giving it it's a twofold attack thing essentially it's the whole sons you know kids go talk to you know your future girlfriend's father and get their permission first but at the same time he's going fathers vet those young punks that are coming to to date your daughter yeah you know and and that's why he talks about the whole thing of like well they're asking me for a hand in marriage he's like but i may have met him twice two or three times it's like, right. what does that mean? And I think there's a balance between it. You know, if, if especially if you're in a situation where you can have a relationship with that other family, like, you know, let's say you're starting to date someone, Aaron, right? Mm-hmm. And you're able to have, you know, go over to their, her parents' house, you know, on weekends and that, you know, you know, for dinner, you know, have a nice Saturday dinner together. I don't know. Something like that, you know? Yeah. You're having the, those conversations. That, then it's not the whole thing of when you go and ask for the hand of marriage. It's not like, oh, I've only seen this putz two or three times. It's, <laughs> hey, I've seen this putz and I've known him, you know, hundreds mm. of times already. All right, cool. Right. It's about bringing time. Because to be honest, trying to quote unquote vet the, the future boyfriend before they start dating doesn't even work either always because you don't know the kid yet. Right. It, I I look at it more as like it's a continual ongoing vetting process, not a one-time one, vetting process. One but time. I do agree with, you know, some of the stuff he says is like, hey, they try to have marriage without being married, aka the emotional attachment, the living together, the sex, and yeah. it, it, what he calls the intimacy. And he goes, guys, we spell intimacy S-E-X. Yeah. <laughs> right. he, he's straight out about it you know he yeah. he goes right yeah. on says it yeah. uh with that i find it funny though in here you could tell he he's an older gentleman yeah an older guy and he wrote it for parents and older guys because he goes kids these days have what's called a hookup yeah <laughs> a hookup <laughs> is <laughs> and he defines what a hookup is i'm like yeah you're not you're not 30 or under are you <laughs> oh no I was like, you are definitely like in your forties, fifties. And I was like that, th- th- I was like, that is very apparent just based on this. <laughs> I, I've, I actually laughed out loud when he goes, for those of you who don't know what a hookup is, I was like, why? I was like, I didn't know what that was until like a few years ago. Okay. What? Please tell me you're, you're lying. I can't remember when I learned about it, but I mean, it wasn't as probably as soon as I should have. <laughs> so, just so you know, Vody Bakum Jr., he's 53 years old. Young man. So, just FYI, he's, 50, he's a 53-year-old African-American preacher. That's currently. Yeah. So, when he wrote this, he might have been, well, he been younger. Not what? by a ton, but. By 11 years. Yeah. At least. So. 42. What a young and spry guy. I'm almost as old as he was when he wrote this. <sighs> Better start writing a book, Paul. <laughs> oh, I have. Oh. My Conversations with Aaron. Oh, no. Oh, no. Volume one. <laughs> <That's> a... 
<laughs> Let me know if you ever release that, because then I'm going to know when to have to go off the grid. <laughs> <laughs> Hide my face and shame. <laughs> uh, was there anything else that stuck out at you from these chapters? Um, I mean, I, I, oh, there was, there was the whole thing about having maturity and sensitivity encouraged to avoid arousing the affections of young women prematurely. That was probably, yes, yeah, that's probably something that, I mean, kids never think about. One, because I guess, you I mean, the, well, you know, I wouldn't even just say kids. I mean, adults and kids at this mm-hmm. point. And that's on at the end of like 109. Okay. Um, but, because uh, it's like, we're taught so much to just go off of feelings. Yep. And this is obviously very much not about that. <laughs> well, I guess the Bible is very much not about going off of feelings because feelings is will screw you over at some point. So that was good point. Uh, oh, on one eleven, where uh, he. Uh, one of the, the lines is you're just going to have to carve out some time and study a little bit before. I mean, he's just talking about how like people look for like a, all one time and all argument kind of responses and stuff like that, the, which I mean, there like is none, but talks about how for, if you're having conversations with other people about, it, it's like, you have to say at some point, you're going to have to actually study and find out for your own <laughs> exactly which i hate re- hearing or reading because it's like oh i have to take time to actually learn this stuff as opposed to just being told it <laughs> yeah plan for growth it's always a good thing something another thing i not great at hmm that's kind of like what I felt like reading this book. I was like, oh man, what are all the things that I'm just not good at? Hmm, there's this and that and this. And well, that. <laughs> then at that point, that those yeah. are those are calls even to you, Johnson, of things then to start working on. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 oh, I know. But you know, the whole feelings thing, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Is there anything else that stuck out I mean, in these chapters for you? Because I got, I got a, got, what are you, I, I guess, got a yeah, list. What do you got? Yes. All right. Fire away. So a couple of these are are serious. One was just funny. I don't know, Ish. funny or what. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna start way back in chapter four then, or was it chapter four? Okay. Yeah, four. Uh, so right away. In chapter four, uh, entitled the so chapter four is entitled "He Must Be a Follower of Christ," mm-hmm. which I honestly I was like, this is pretty self-explanatory. I didn't, I was like, this chapter is a little long, but it's an academic long, so I understand it. Mm-hmm. That happens, but I like how he did delve into the whole yoked together thing, mm-hmm. and he's talking about it. This is more than just marriage. This is more than just marriage. This is talking about. In all things, in all facets of life, in all sorts of work, um, that you should be yoked equally in that regard. And he talks about, um, he has a a quote from Calvin on it, and he 
but he sums it up like this. In other words, Calvin's argument is not that marriage is excluded from the topics covered in in this discourse. On the contrary, he sees it encompassing marriage and much more. In other words, it's it's not just that whole concept of being yoked equally is not just for marriage. It is marriage, business, what else? You know, all these other concepts in life. So it, it's a much broader concept where people tend to just limit that verse just to marriage. Uh, mm-hmm. That verse obviously being um, uh, sec- 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18 where Paul talks about that. It's on the previous page if you're looking for the verse. What page are you on right now? Uh, page 70 is where that oh, that, that verse okay. is. So there's that, which I was just like, hmm, interesting. Okie dokie. Uh, the next thing that kind of hit my, my note-taking radar that made me take <laughs> notes um, was this. Uh, again, like I said, this chapter, chapter four, is a little bit longer than I think it should be, but that's because it's more academic than anything, so it, it delves into deep things. Um, but he says, a true believer is reformed, and what it really means to be reformed then. And we're not talking about reformed theology, we're talking about reformed as in change, as in a real conversion. So that's what it's talking about. And he's talking about how, you know, the example he's giving is a, example, a conversation he had with some parents where you're like, oh, our kid was saved at this young age, but now he's a teenager, he's acting up and all this stuff. I'm like, two thoughts came into my head. I was like, first off, he's a teenager. He's going to do that. It's going to happen whether they're saved or not. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, teenagers love to rebel. I mean, people love to. That's where it really starts to kick off. Teenagers love to rebel. And and to be honest, angsty and... Yeah, emo and angsty. <laughs> After learning, I listened to a lot more emo music than I realized. <laughs> Gee, Louise. Um, but, th- but yeah, that's where that rebelliousness comes through, you know, especially. And what's funny, this is hilarious. In dogs, it's the same thing. They're teenage years, they start rebelling. You can have them perfectly trained as a puppy, but they're teenage years, they stop willingly not doing what you train them to do. It's not a salvation issue there in dogs at that point. It's just a natural. It's just this natural, like, hey, I want to rebel thing. Yeah. Um, And I'll be honest, part of me still has not grown out of that, but that's a whole other conversation. And that's, well, I I mean, as soon as you hit those years, I mean, I think that's something that nobody ever really grows out of to some degree at some point. Yeah, but I still keep it in, yes. (laughs) Some people have it under control a lot more. Generally, I mean, I would hope to imagine most Christians would have more self-control and be better with that kind of stuff. But I mean, I, I, I don't know, I guess I mean, it, you can look at the Bible and I mean, there's people where, I mean, the Bible where they had their times of rebelling and doing what they deemed what they wanted to do. But yeah, I, st- I still have that though at the forefront, especially at work at time. And I shouldn't, but that's just me. <laughs> That's how I get my work done anyways. <laughs> there you go. And mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that part about him talking about re- the reform and he, he's literally going to the parents like, well, are, is your kid really saved? I was like, uh, like, I don't agree with this approach here. And then I remember where that essentially, I think he's, um, Southern Baptist and like, that makes sense now why he did that because why he brings in the question of is he really saved kind of thing well no like why is he like well obviously your kid's not saved if he's rebelling and he was saved quote unquote as a youngster 
Oh. You know, and then I go, oh, Southern Baptist. I was like, I get it. And here's the thing about a book like this. You don't have to agree 100% with everything well, to no, get not... to get things out of it. It's not. No. It's not a Bible. No. Yeah. So, you know, there are, there are points <laughs> in here where I read it. I go, ooh, that's creepy. Or, ooh, I disagree. But I was like, but his other points still stand and still works. I'm like, whatever. It... Mm-hmm. By the way. At at the end of next of the next one we record, you'll have to give it a rating out of five. Oh gosh! Let's start thinking about that now. How you rate this out of five? Oh no. Uh okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that was one part, and then the next part that made me kind of laugh slash cringe slash I want Aaron's take on this. Oh great. Page eighty six. Oh, ten pages away from that. Yep. Page 86, the stay-at-home dad. Heck yeah. So what did you think about the stay-at-home dad scenario there? Oh, I don't so, know. So I... essentially what happens is the guy goes and picks up his kid from school, and this Cuban lady comes up to him and goes, I know you're a pastor, so you don't have a real job. And and she points at the other man there that he was talking to and goes, why are you here to pick up your kids? <laughs> And the guy goes, I'm a stay at home dad. And he goes into a little bit more that, you know, his wife makes more than him, makes enough for them to survive on. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they decided for him to be a stay at home dad. Right. And this author kind of goes, well, why is he being a stay at home dad? He's like, and he talks about how that's the infection of feminism in the church and how he needs to reclaim his manhood and all this other stuff. I'm like, interesting. So, what's your thought on stay-at-home father? Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess, well, from, like, current, I guess, understanding. I mean, that's, I guess, is he the one? When you look at the list of things of what, like, the man is supposed to do in the family, one of them is providing. So is he still providing for the family in this? No, I wouldn't say I, he I, is. And most of what he's doing is he's going, you know, he's taking the kids to play dates, picking them up from school, doing the grocery shopping, right. doing the housework, doing the bill pays, all that sort of stuff. But the wife is the one bringing in all the She's money. She's the one that's putting the work out to make sure the family is taken care of. Yep. So, I mean, he's not, I mean, I guess, yeah, I would say I wouldn't, say that I would be a person for the whole stay-at-home dad thingy. The dad is supposed to be the one out putting the work in. And I, I mean, I even, I had well, yeah, a conversation with like, well, well <laughs> now that I now that I was about to say it, I, I thought of the wonderful phrase mother dearest. <laughs> <laughs> okay because no, i was talking to her about that and i was like so but what about the whole sit like a uh, situation where it's like oh well the wife is going to be able to make more money and stuff like that and like so why not i mean you both can work or whatever and she's like well i guess she was under the impression you should just go under the man's salary and learn to live off of what he can do i was like all right yeah i suppose that's going to take, and that's where I, as far as like on the, on the woman's side of things, that's where it's going to have to take a lot of, um, I guess, control to hear that, especially knowing how people are today. 
where if they're told that like hey like i'm the man that's kind of like kind of like running the ship here kind of thing and he's the one that's like you know we'll work under my i guess what we can provide i can see a majority of women being like so i'm not good enough to you know like, or kind of i don't know maybe, maybe that's not the argument they, they'd bring up but they would get upset that like well why would we live in worse conditions when i can just work and make more money and we can have a better living style or whatever it be that yeah be and, and that's part of the like the american chase and dream and you know for like the bigger house the mm-hmm. bigger drum set the bigger guitar the more guitars yeah. oh, i'm sorry am i attacking someone personally yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but but in reality, you know, in yeah. the current American culture, to live under one salary is pretty difficult. Yeah, and I don't, I think I I can't remember. I don't know. Yeah, I'm already forgetting a lot of this chapter. But like, I thought when we were the guys and I were discussing this as a group, we had we had asked like, I was like, well, is it just is this okay for women to work while being married? And well, and I mean, I think we all came to the conclusion. I was like, well, yes, that's perfectly okay. Until kids come into the picture at that point. Cause I, I, I can't, was it this chapter? I don't remember. He, he talks about how they have like, um, or maybe it was something totally different. I don't know, but it's talking about both parents are getting up in the morning, getting in their BMWs or whatever, driving off, going to work. It might be in a different chapter. It might be a different chapter. Cause it wasn't in the first seven. Yeah. Um, but it's it, the mom should be the one to stay home and take do the whole nurturing aspect for the children for um while they're growing up mm-hmm. they shouldn't just and in this in the um example that I'm talking about because they just had like a a, a nanny or somebody come into the house to take care of the kids or to drop them off at daycare or whatever which yeah, no, I I mean, I would say the whole stay-at-home dad is like, eh, no. Okay. Because I guess, yeah, and I guess as far as biblically going, I mean, obviously, if you're not trying to live your life biblically, then do whatever the heck you want to do. I don't care. Um, well, I shouldn't say I don't care, but it's your choice. Yeah, because he was talking about how, you know, he goes, oh, this is the, how the, the end result, the end goal of feminism in the church attacking and deconstructing the lines between men and women and how he's going. I, I love the little phrase there. He goes, the guy, the, you know, the stay-at-home dad, a decade ago would have, or a couple decades ago would have like been hiding his face in shame and is now wearing it proud like a badge out in the public. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's probably about right. That's probably well, about yeah. right. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, as time goes on and on, I mean, we're always just getting more and more backwards with, I guess, as far as biblically speaking goes. Well, that's definitely been going true more and more. Hence why books like this are being written like, hey, here's how to be a father that guides your daughter on how to get a boyfriend properly or husband properly. Well, yeah, as far as, well, and I guess, I mean, this doesn't have to be just a, I mean, obviously it's geared towards christians and stuff like that but even for like a non-christian father i mean you can read this and maybe be like oh maybe i shouldn't be involved in my daughter's life to find a guy that's actually worth being with yep and not just her finding oh this is the cute boy at school and then getting with him and then he turns out to be a complete piece of trash and then yeah 
I don't know. Because I feel like that, I shouldn't say I feel, I mean, it just, that happens a ton. Oh, yeah. So it's like, well, one, because, I mean, obviously for the, with the whole absent fathers thing, it's like girls don't know what to look for in a guy because they don't have any example of what a father is. So, so it kind of makes things difficult. And yeah. obviously a mom can still, I guess, you know, help out and be like, tell her daughter will know that guy's not worth it or that guy's no good, but yeah. I guess it's probably not the same as coming from a mom as it is coming from the dad. Well, yeah, because the dad knows what the guy's thinking and what the guy's really doing and what the guy's motivation is behind what he says. Right. So, in other words, Aaron, for your future daughter, you need to be there for her. I mean, I would if there was going to be one. But... All ten of them. <laughs> no! I would laugh so hard. <laughs> no! You would make the Peterson clan look Dude. tiny. Oh my gosh! There's there's people I've talked to, or like... um. Uh, yeah, there's people I've talked to where they've, I mean, they've had a couple boys and then they have family members that have had a couple girls and they're like, wow, <laughs> the girls are obnoxious to deal with. <laughs> She's like, I'd rather have boys than girls any day. <laughs> I'm like, going to bless you with five sets of twins oh, of all girls. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to need so much like man time with the boys <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna be outnumbered in my house 11 to 1 oh my gosh <laughs> your poor wife uh, poor wife poor me <laughs> <laughs> no your poor wife i mean poor wife in many ways but at least yeah. she can have her fun stuff with their little their little girls and i'll just be like Ugh. I have to watch out for all the bozos that are coming after y'all. I say, no, you'll be the guy that will be like dressed up in the pink dress with Bose's hair and his beard at his daughter's tea party. (laughs) That'll be you. You've seen those guys. Awkwardly like, well, not awkward. That's just like, it feels too accurate. (laughs) I know. It's like I've done stuff like that for less. So what would I not do for my little? (laughs) (laughs) That sounds real bad. Okay. (laughs) Oh no. So this was part one of this book. This is the first half of this book. I can't wait till the second half of this book because we're going to talk about things about being committed to children. Aaron, I am so looking forward to to hearing your thoughts on that. I'm not exactly sure what this chapter means. It's the last chapter. Again, I haven't read the full book yet, so I don't know what everything means, but this chapter title was weird. Can't find one, build one. (laughs) I was like, that is a weird, I I don't remember. That's the last chapter before the conclusion. Yeah. And then the another one I'm looking forward to is don't send a woman to do a man's job. Yeah, I would agree with that. But the last one, don't can't find one, build one. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, we're building. Are we going to Androids now? Yeah, we are. Oh boy, this is turning into a Rick and Morty episode. <laughs> oh boy, that's it's entertaining. That huh? that's a disturbing series if you've ever seen it. I've Rick and Morty. Yeah, I mean, I've seen bits, not a lot. It's a disturbing it's, series. It's wild from what I've seen. It's yeah that that uh, can't find one, build one. That's definitely the premise of one of the episodes. Oh, no. It's scary. Mm. Yeah. But anyways. All right. 
Johnson, I'm looking forward to hearing the second uh, half. The second half of your thoughts on this book, and then what book you want to do after this. Oh gosh, because what book I want to do? What if you want to do? Because a this book? is Aaron's book club. It has to be books Aaron wants to do, oh. and this is entertaining because this is a way for me to make sure that Aaron keeps reading and learning, and then. A very roundabout way, we're giving Aaron an education on what it means to be a man.